This is Dollars and Change, a podcast about the intersection of business and social impact. Brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. Welcome to Dollars and Change. I am Sandy Hunt, Managing Director at the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. And today, I'm delighted to be speaking with Katie Kapler, co-founder and CEO of Inscribe, an AI-powered app that provides community support and on-demand sources for college students. Welcome, Katie. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. So I want to give our listeners a little bit of context. We became introduced to you and your team at Inscribe as you won this year's Turner Mint competition. Our tournament program, if you haven't heard us talk about it on previous episodes, is the MBA Impact Investing Network and Training Program. It's a program that we run in collaboration with the Bridges Impact Foundation, and it's a year-long experiential learning program designed to give students at business and graduate schools around the world a hands-on education in impact investing. So the program culminates with a competition where the top student teams whittled down from 35 that we begin with to seven finalists present to the judges. And this year, for the 2021 competition, the winner was the UCLA Anderson School of Management and the company they presented was Inscribe. That's how we crossed paths with you, Katie. And congratulations again on the win. Thank you. It was it was a great experience to be part of that process with that team. Wonderful. Well, we're excited to share your story and Inscribe's story with our listeners today. So let's start at the very beginning, Katie. What is Inscribe and what's the problem you're solving? Yeah, so Inscribe is a a virtual community platform, and we work primarily with institutions of higher education, although we do have some um, customers outside of that, particularly in um, K-12 and other areas of learning. But really, our overall goal is to help any student, um, regardless of their background or their modality of learning, to be able to access the answers, resources, and people that they need to be able to be successful in their degree program. Um, And we started Inscribe because what we've seen over the last couple of years, so there's this general concept of um, non-traditional learners, and you may have heard that term before in post-secondary education. Um, What that generally refers to are students who aren't you know, full-time, four-year, 18 to 21-year-olds. So they're a little bit older, They're probably uh, working while they're learning, or they might be parents while they're students. Many of them are learning online. Many of them are first generation. And it's an interesting nomicker that we give them, this non-traditional bucket, because actually the vast majority of um, not higher ed post-secondary students are actually in this non-traditional space. That was going to be my question. Do you have any any, any metrics, right? So um, yes, how how non-traditional are these? Uh, majority learners. Right. I mean, they they make up the vast majority of learners today. And um, within that space, you know, we see things like more than half, almost 65% of them have a job. Um, More than half of them are first generation. A quarter of them are actually parents while they're learning. And so what's interesting about this population of students is very diverse but they're a population of learners who, you know, one of the things they have in common is they tend to be very constrained on time. So they don't have a lot of flexibility in their day. And in many cases, they also don't have as much experience navigating the complexities of the post-secondary market. Um, 
meaning like, where do I go when I have a question? And well, like, how do I fill out this form? And when is this thing due? You know, they don't, they haven't got, been through all those processes before. And maybe people in their family or community haven't as well. So they don't have a lot of network at home to rely on. Um, and unfortunately, they also are a population of students who suffer from not, you know, the, the impacts of this mean that a lot of them don't complete their degree. So um, I think the current statistics are more than 65% of these students actually will drop out before they finish their um, degree or their certificate that they're going for. So it's a big population of learners. It's a population that really wants and needs support um, and who could really benefit from them. It's like a place where you could really move the needle for them. And so we partner with institutions, especially those that serve these students, to create these, these communities of support that they can tap into. And in their inscribed community, these students connect with um, the staff at the institution, their faculty members, and their peers, their classmates that they're working with. So whenever they have a question, whenever they're feeling like they just need a boost or some motivation, they can turn to this community and get that support and those answers that they really need to just get unstuck and move forward. Excellent. So I like storytelling. I find that that is sometimes the most memorable way or um easy to conceptualize way around a concept. So can you tell us a story for a minute or two, a hypothetical or real anonymized story of exactly when and how a user would use the Inscribe platform? Like what would that look like? Yeah, that's such a great question. So as you can imagine, uh, a support community or a community of peers is a, is a space that you could use at lots of different parts in your education journey. So one example would be when a student is first showing up on campus. So we think about that as like, the onboarding sort of student orientation phase. And when I say showing up on campus, I mean either literally or figuratively, you know, if they're learning online kind of their first day in class. Um, there are so many things that a student needs to navigate during leading up to and during those first weeks in terms of financial aid and registration and just finding a community of peers that they can connect to. And so many of the institutions that we partner with will build communities specifically around that space. And, um, you know, we see in those communities this beautiful um, existence of both this tactical support. So a student, you know, will jump in and say, I, I can't figure out how to fill out this form or I'm not sure what this somebody told me to go to this particular technology. I don't even know what it is. And historically, without a, a community to turn to, the students are just trying to figure that out on their own. And some of them will and some of them won't. But now you'll see within minutes, um, three or four other students have jumped in to help. The, the advisor or the registrar has jumped in to provide a solution and now that student has what they need and they're off and running. Um, the other thing that we see in these communities a lot of, and this is true of really all the communities we build, is the human connections that get built. So um, again, kind of going back to the population we work with, all the time we'll have folks show up and say, hey, I've been out of school for about 10 years. I'm returning to complete my degree or get this additional degree. And I'm super nervous about being back and whether I can navigate this space. And just watching the other students that jump in to share similar stories or to say, hey, we're in this together. If you never need anything, reach out to me. And you can just feel the confidence that that type of interaction and support can give these students in those early days which you know is is critical to helping them really believe in themselves that this is something that they can accomplish. Absolutely. I want to spend a lot more time on that community and sort of 
psychological dimension. But before we do, this this appears to be sort of what I'll call an, an and, not an or tool. So it strikes me that this is adding to the universities that you're working with and colleges you're working with, not a substitute for existing educational infrastructure. But tell us a little bit about that. So is this, does this go on top of existing infrastructure? Does this, um, you know, get pushed out through an academic department or through, you know, the university administration? Tell us a little bit about sort of how it plugs into these institutions. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's a really important point in, in a couple of dimensions. Um, so we talked about the enrollment onboarding sort of concept of community. We also have communities that get built around academics. You know, everyone learning math is in there helping each other. We get communities that are built around enrollment. So prospective students have a place to go and ask questions. Um, but in each of those use cases, sort of regardless of where we're being used, there are a couple of things that we always sort of hold true to how we partner with the institutions we work with. One is that we are committed to integrating this community into the tools and workflows that an institution already uses. So we don't believe in creating a separate destination that people have to find and go to. Um, we actually don't think that that's particularly useful or set up for success. Um, but instead, we have this concept that we call community in context. So you tell us, like, what are the existing experiences that your students um, and staff and faculty have? And then let's find access points where we can place the community in each of those spaces. So as soon as somebody hits a, a roadblock or, or feels like they need something, they have that button is right there that they can click on. And that might be, you know, in many cases, the learning management system is obviously a hub at many schools, but it also is websites, portals, uh, mobile apps, text messaging systems. You know, we can place integration points at each of those spots. So that's kind of the, the practical side of um, how we think about that. And then there's also the human side, which is, you know, Inscribe is a human first system. We're not about replacing interaction with technology, but enhancing the human interaction with technology. And so, um, you know, we believe that it's still really important that students are connecting with the human advisors or the human faculty or the human students and seeing where those answers are coming from. We just want to do it in a space that makes that more visible and easier to access. And do you provide any wisdom or analytics back to the school? So imagining Inscribe then has this treasure trove of information that might hypothetically spot oh gosh, you know, a humongous percentage of your users had problems with this um, registration form of some sort. You know, that's really something you might want to improve because 90% of users were in the help, I can't figure this out chat. So is it kind of a, um, is that feedback integrated to the schools? Absolutely. And you hit right on it. So the you, when you have a community in space, you're um, in place, you're really providing different types of value to the different constituents that are participating. And one of those value propositions is very much the analytics and information that you can provide back to an institution, because you will be surprised what you could learn from students if you just let them tell you um, what they're worrying about or where they're getting stuck or what they're thinking about. And as you pointed out, it is a treasure trove of information. For example, we were um, helping one university, Western Governors University is one of our partners, um, and we had helped them build a community around their enrollment process. 
And in the community, I, um, I don't know the exact statistic, but it was something like 75% of the questions and interactions were around transcripts. And it highlighted back to WGU that there was this point in the process where um, students couldn't tell, have my transcripts come in? Have they not come in? And it became sort of an opaque process for a period of time. And that caused a lot of anxiety for students. So it allowed them to say, all right, let's just create some additional information and resources and touch points around this part of the process so that we can circumvent that before that anxiety or challenge ever even occurs. So that's one specific example, but you can imagine across the board all the things that you could learn about what's going on in the heads of students uh, along the way. Absolutely. Fascinating. So um, zooming out sort of uh, more broadly speaking to your business model, virtual learning and support and connection was certainly a trend in 2019, but I don't think anyone could have expected how big of an impact this way of learning would be in the year and years to come. So two-part question. You know, as Inscribe came into this pandemic year, what did it really validate? What aspects of the model did it really, you know, hit home and say, this is a, a, an incredibly useful intervention? And sort of flip side question, did it challenge or change any aspects of the model? Yeah, so um, on on the positive side, I feel like it reinforced a lot of what, you know, we had already been thinking and a lot of the value that we believed that we were bringing to students and we knew that we were bringing to students, but now there was a bigger student population that maybe could potentially benefit from that. I think what was interesting is prior to COVID, institutions obviously survey their students and ask about things like student satisfaction, but there was a lot more of that that went on during COVID because so many student experience had, had been disrupted and a lot more students were learning at a distance. And I think it uncovered all of this information about how learning at a distance does foster these like um, feelings of uh, loneliness and isolation. In fact, there was a research report that just came out from a company called Top Hat who does student surveys periodically. And they found that 84% of students last year felt anxiety and 66% of them felt sort of this constant feeling of isolation and loneliness. And when I talked to one of our partners who has both online and in-person students, uh, what they said to me is, you know, it was interesting to hear the in-person students speak up and talk about that feeling because they had been moved into this online environment. And what we realized is our online students have always been feeling that way. And we just never really asked them. Um, and so it, it opened everybody's mind up to this idea that creating opportunities for connection and collaboration for all students, especially for students learning at a distance, is really important and validating. What also, I think, has come out of the pandemic is that even in-person students will tell you as they move back toward a more you know, traditional face-to-face um, -face model is that they would like to keep in place some of the things that came out of that distance process. Things like you know, having some aspects of technology that make it easier to connect and give them more flexible opportunities and timeframes to connect with their faculty and with their peers. Um, that they liked the idea that all the resources that they were trying to find were centralized in one location all of a sudden, and they always knew where to go. So the, the types of value that we were bringing to non-traditional students, I think, 
traditional students have now raised their voice to say, hey, we would like to have that as well. And we would benefit from that at the same time. So that's been really interesting to watch. And we'll see, you know, over the next couple of years, how that manifests itself in the long term. Fascinating. And I'm curious on the flip side, anything, any big aha moments or boy, you know, when we're seeing this at scale, we really need to tweak a certain component of our business plan, business model. So most of our communities historically were some combination of students with what we'd call the experts on campus. So again, like faculty or staff or others. And that was generally the model that we always recommended, mixing students with experts. But when the pandemic hit, we had a lot of schools that just put out communities that are what we call for students, by students, for students. Um, So there were no real institutional moderators. They were just students in there kind of helping each other and answering each other. And those communities were some of the most successful, most active, thriving spaces that we've ever seen. And so something we learned is just to know that, hey, students themselves actually can be some of the best community leaders and supporters of each other. And oftentimes, if we just get out of the way and let them run these spaces on their own, we get better outcomes and better engagement um, than we even would in a a more moderated, uh, facilitated um, type environment. So that's something that we're bringing with us in terms of making recommendations for our current and future partners. Fascinating. So let's go back to community. You touched on it in your response and actually responses to most of the questions I've asked, and I'm not surprised to see that it is indeed something that's coming up throughout this conversation, but, you know, a sense of belonging, a sense of connection, a sense of community, this is something we really heard and saw missing in this, you know, past year, a year and a half almost now that we were sort of thrust into. And I think it's very safe to say there's a significantly damaging impact from that lack of connection What does Inscribe do to combat that? What have you seen? Is there a virtual solution or does nothing replace in-person connection? Tell us what you've learned. Yeah, I think those student communities we talked about are a great example. Uh, And our goal is not to replace all in-person connection or, or, you know, synchronous type conversation and collaboration, because that's also a core component of relationship building and education and um you know, all the things that you would expect a student to have as part of their uh, degree process. But we also saw that digital spaces do have the ability to replicate some of that, what we would call kind of like low stakes, hallway conversation type interaction that you would normally get by default, you know, by being on campus. And it it, what happened was when we first went fully online, and I think this is true of some sort of structured online programs or sort of existing online programs as well, there's a lot of thought that goes into the classroom design and how do we organize assignments and group projects and things like that. And that's all collaboration as well. But it's prescribed sort of high stakes collaboration that students are participating in. Really to create that sense of belonging and connection, students also need the more low stakes, find my own kind of people, interact on my own terms when it makes sense for me type of conversations. And digital spaces can really do that. And in some ways, they actually could do it better than an in-person experience. Um, And what I mean by that is 
they open up the door for a broader population of students to participate than you might see if you only had in-person events. One reason sure. for that your 30-person classroom, you know, opportunity for, you know, connecting with someone becomes, you know, a 3,000-person virtual school community, something like yeah. that. Right. And the flexibility of when you're engaging means that it doesn't have to be during these certain hours that that some other event is planned. Or, you know, you'd be surprised. There are a lot of shy people out there who really never want to speak up in a face-to-face environment. If they're given the time to construct their thoughts a little bit and get organized before they speak up and do it in that virtual space, you'll pull out a lot of those, you know, quiet voices that would normally be in the back and, and help them kind of come to the forefront as well. Fascinating. What's one thing I'm I'm thinking through the lens of being a manager, as I hear you say all of that, like, wow, you know, these are all really good points. What is one thing as we all navigate what I suspect will be a bit of a hybrid world for a while, if not forever, uh, forever changed by the virtual pandemic, you know, modalities. What's one thing we can and should all do to create this community when we are virtual? So it's it's really not as hard as people think. I um, create a space, you know, whatever tool or technology that you have available or that you want to adopt, create a space. And just the few things that we say to make that space be successful is have a purpose for it. So know what the goal of that space is and be intentional about that. Um, put it somewhere that everyone can find it so they know that they can turn to it um, and, and access it easily. And then, you know, make sure that the right people are part of that space, meaning your students are there, they are empowered to help each other and have those conversations, um, and you bring in the right additional resources to provide that support. And that's really the only three elements that you need to build a space like this and help it thrive. And then don't be too prescriptive. You know, let the space take on the personality that the people in there want it to have. So, um, you know, let it be a little free form, let it develop on its own. And again, that's where you're going to start to get those really interesting insights and that really high level of engagement. Thanks. That's great advice. And it takes the pressure off a bit. So hopefully it inspires our (laughs) listeners to do that. Um, So last question, as our time comes to an end here, we talk a lot about impact measurement in our work, not only how to measure impact, but what metrics specifically to look at to assess the impact you're having. So as Inscribe grows, what are the most important things that you track to evaluate the the impact Inscribe is having? And how did you get to those metrics? You know, sometimes we don't get it right the first time um, with the metrics that we use, and those evolve over time. So tell us a little bit about how you measure what matters. Well, and it's funny you said that. So initially, we focused exclusively on the end outcomes. So things like course completion, retention. And what we learned along the way is we still measure those and we can talk about those, but um, really the the foundation is engagement. When you will get all those great outputs when you have students who are engaged and participating. So we look at engagement in our communities. It's not uncommon for us to see engagement rates in sort of the 80 to 90% range, uh, which is really high for a space that's not required. It's voluntary for students to come join. Um, and then we track that to then see, well, then what are those outcomes that we're seeing? So we um, look at year over year retention. We look at course success rates um, in some of our course based academic based communities. We've seen uh, outcomes in the range of eight percent improvement in the number of students successfully completing those courses. 
um, and 10% improvement in the number of students receiving A grades in those classes. So those are some of the things that we think about. And then the flip side of this is really, are we also doing this in a way that is advantageous for the people supporting those students? So are we making their lives more efficient and productive? And we often get reports from our customers that they're seeing 40% reduction in the amount of time that they would normally be spending answering emails or individual questions because they're able to centralize it in these community spaces. Those are some of the things that we think about. And again, making sure that we're adding value for all the constituents that we work with. Excellent. Those are great examples. Thanks so much for sharing those. So our time has come to an end. I want to make sure that folks know where they can learn more if they're interested in learning more about Inscribe. Katie, tell us, where do they go? Yeah, come check us out at our website. It's inscribeapp.com. You can find a lot of great resources there. We have a community self-assessment if you are at an institution and curious about how you're doing and what you could do to maybe improve some of that work. And then, of course, reach out if you want to learn more or if you just want to chat. Thank you, Katie. Katie Kapler, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, co-founder and CEO of Inscribe. Thank you so much for hosting me. It was great chatting with you. It was an absolute delight. This is Sandy Hunt on Dollars and Change. Dollars and Change is brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. To learn more, visit us at socialimpact.wharton.upenn.edu.